Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to episode number ten of the Create More podcast with me, Ben Stewart. This is the final episode of series one of the podcast series and uh boo i know but we'll be back very very soon series two uh but who have we got on this week we have victoria thornton from open city who well i mean the list is extensive uh so to give you a bit of background for those who don't know she started or formed open house back in 1992 um if you've never heard of Open House, uh, this is uh, for London. This was an ability where they went around and asked the owners and developers and clients who own these amazing buildings, houses, uh, famous houses, galleries, uh, tour buildings, uh, places like Lloyd's Building in London, and they opened them up for a day. Uh, so anyone, absolutely anyone could come and look. So for 24 hours or 12 hours when it was open, you, could, uh, you had thousands of people going through these buildings. And it was such a cool idea. The idea was that you would uh, you would make it an open forum, uh, so take money out of the equation. You didn't have to pay to get in; you just had to queue. So it's a totally democratic way for to allow people to understand architecture. And she's got this great quote, which is, um, "You can't experience architecture from textbooks." And I just it's such a nice it's such a brilliant idea and this was done in 1992 and um, since then it's become it's now Open City it's called but it's mental like so over the last 23 years it's gone from having 20 buildings to now having 200 buildings no sorry 700 buildings uh, in the city with a quarter of a million people who do it over a one weekend uh, make studios have done it and so they try and you know anyone who just it's just a really, really, really good thing to be part of. And it's not just ballooned from there. It's gone on. So she's stepping down as the CEO of Open City. And she said she wanted a bit more time uh, to herself. So she's decided to uh, continue Open House Worldwide, which uh, it doesn't sound like a step down to me. It sounds more like a massive step up. But she she assures me that it is uh, less work for her. But the idea is that lots of other cities want to do this. And why wouldn't they? So instead of just allowing them to kind of go off on their own, she's actively trying to make a, I guess, a manifesto and to go to cities all around the world. So they're trying to get um, what we go over in the podcast. But I think it's something like 100 cities she's going to get or more over the next uh, couple of years. So she goes there and we listen to the podcast. It's such a simple idea, the premise of open house and the wording and the way the word is done, like the title of the brand is... um, is really, really important. And we also talk lots about how this is one of the things that really interested me was how that cycle of getting people to understand architecture and their built environment more anyone this isn't just Ponzi architects, this is this is anyone feels that they have an invested interest in their built environment. And this idea that then she's also started school programs, um, primary school programs to try and make everyone understand the importance of having good architecture. And um, she's also, and something I'm taking part of in November is called Open Accelerate, which is Accelerate into Schools, which is education for kind of, it's the ste- it's that final stepping stone between secondary school, 
A-levels and then university, if you're from, she words it a lot better, but uh, underprivileged backgrounds or, you know, people who might not have the uh, access to the things that basically white middle class people have really uh, for architecture, it seems to be the predominant way of doing it is that kind of final stepping stone of she she calls she describes it as critical thinking and just to be in an interview uh, and to explain to tutors um, exactly you know why you should be on this course and that's something I'm taking part of which is really really interesting so uh, this is the final one in the series uh, for series one and we've done ten and I just thought a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks so iTunes picked up the podcast which has been brilliant so I should say a massive thank you to Renee from Acast for promoting this um, so uh, we went from having say 10 to 20 people download it which I was more than happy with because uh, that made me feel great you know I was doing it for myself and then now iTunes picked it up we're getting around 150 downloads a day so um, this is really exciting that I know this is going out to quite a lot of people so I just thought this would be a great time to say one if you listen to this on iTunes uh, you should also really listen to it on Acast which is acast.com and then forward slash create more podcast. Just because uh, wh- what I think the medium is progressing to and something that I've picked up from other podcasts is uh, Acast embeds em- images and links. So as you're listening to it on your smartphone, you can, um, as I talk about Open City, a link will pop up and you can click on the link and it takes you straight to her blog or takes you straight to a website she's been talking about or a building and I think it's a really good way especially for a design-based podcast to have that ability to listen uh, and to engage in that way so listen to it on Acast Um, but we're also now starting to put the podcast out on SoundCloud um, which is another massive medium of things that iTunes is great for iPhone users, but there's also obviously the whole rest of the world that don't have iPhones so we're starting to put it on SoundCloud which is soundcloud.com forward slash create more podcast um and listen in to the end to find out who i've kind of already got lined up for series two um i had my first person ask me to come and interview them which was brilliant so i'll tell you that all at the end but um if you're new to the podcast you've not listened to it before i just thought it's all it's called the create more podcast it's all about creative entrepreneurs but more the ideas and the people who came up with the ideas and the implementation of these ideas, which I'm really interested in, especially coming from this podcast and thinking about it and doing it. And it's quite scary putting something out there. And this is on a relatively small scale. So starting your own practice or your own business or your own music studio, these are massive leaps of faith. So um, I've had some absolutely brilliant podcasts. So we started off with Assemble Studios, who've done like pop-up cinemas and galleries, and they're now nominated for the Turner Prize. They've been amazing. That's a Jane Hall interviewed David Batchelor, who's like a famous light artist. Uh, Jay Un from Studio Weave, who do these amazing story-led architecture. Um, Jason Bruges, who does uh, incredible interactive architecture. Uh, then also Scroobius Pip, who's um, a recording artist. He's also a hip-hop artist, a poet, runs his own recording studio. Um, Alistair Parvin, who does open source architecture in WikiHouse. Uh, Ken Shutterworth, who's the founder of Make Architects, worked on Wembley in the, and um, worked on the Gherkin and things. So if you want to find out more about what it's like to run a famous architecture practice. Uh, Sue Butcher, who's like a, a Twitter a social media expert, not just for, it's interesting for architects, but also just for anyone who wants to get into Twitter. And then last month's one, which has been by far the most popular, um, is Chris Romali from Studio Octopi, who, uh, one of the things I was really interested in, he does Kickstarter campaigns. So 
that is, I think you'll agree, a pretty rounded set of um, people to interview. So thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a, it's just about an hour of us of us chatting and me finding out lots more about what she's going to do and how she started and things. So um, yeah, thank you so much. And listen to the end uh, to see who's on season uh, series two, which is uh, I'm just going to do way quicker than I'd planned. I mean, I, I promised my wife I would uh, delay it a little bit, but um <clears throat> I've already got people lined up and I'm too excited. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Bye. It's quite good, this setup. It means I'm totally mobile. It means I, I, it was all powered off the laptop. So uh, Brilliant. It's really good. I mean, I could do it in a field. I don't know why I would, but... <laughs> Right, well, uh, the, I, I'll, I'll just start recording. So yeah. I'm here with Victoria Thornton. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for and, having uh, me. It's been a couple of weeks, but we've got we've got there in the end, haven't we? Yeah. And uh, so I thought I kind of want to talk about a lot of stuff. But if I if I so I want to start with Open City or Open House, and then mm. uh, slowly go and kind of finish on where you're moving to after this. Okay. But uh, I do I do really want to go into detail about Open City, as it's now called, mm. and explain to people um, a bit more about. Well, I want to know more about how it started because I, I read something about um, you described the architectural kind of climate. And as to why you very first started Open House, as it was originally called. And mm. I kind of, I found that so interesting because I've lost, you lose context. I can't imagine what it was like 20, how, how long was it? 23 oh, years ago now. 23 yeah. years ago. So it's really interesting to hear why you started it. So what 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 originally started Open House at the very beginning? Okay. <laughs> Um, Taking it right to, back to the beginning. Yeah, you have to sort of remember a bit of my context that I've been around architecture. I was taking architects around the world looking at architecture. I was actually writing a bit about it. I was publishing a guide to, first guidebook to contemporary London, really, uh, with my partner, Ken Allenson. So there was a bit of, I was around it and therefore I was in it. Um, and I was seeing the real thing, as I call it, architecture in the flesh. Yeah. Um, but realised not many other people. If you were outside the profession, you didn't see this. And I didn't think I was anything special. That I thought, well, if I'm enjoying it and thinking it's really important to see it, actually see what good design is about. And I was seeing some great buildings. Um, maybe others should. And also the fact that... Um, the profession was tending to always saying no one understands us, society doesn't understand us. And I felt, well, actually, you need to let them in. Yeah. And so it was that. So that was my sort of part of it. The other part of it, of course, was that it was a period of um, coming in 1992 as a recession. But before that, we'd had a lot of only uh, private um, build. Uh, we were in a conservative government, uh, Thatcher Buck government. Um, so there's no public buildings. There's no investment in any new uh, civic buildings, town halls, uh, art museums. Everything had to be private. So, again, there wasn't much coming through in contemporary architecture, yet it was part of us, part of us as a contemporary city. And the sort of climate was there was a Department of Heritage. Mm. Um Heritage. There wasn't a Department of Architecture. And actually, there was this real kind of divide between, therefore, old, heritage is good, new, contemporary is bad. 
And I just thought this is ridiculous because we're in a contemporary city. It's about the quality of it, not the age of it. But the sort of we had two real camps. We had obviously English heritage, um, but also the architectural world was only really interesting contemporary. So it's sort of they never were coming together. So it seems amazing to think now that now heritage is heritage and kind of contemporary architecture. The best is where they perfectly kind of. Yeah, but they still separate them out. And, and you're right, they are much more um, connected. And they were connected in the rest of Europe. So if you went to Barcelona or you went to mm. Italy, Spain, you would see this sort of uh, connection of, of them just melling together. But it wasn't happening here. It felt you couldn't put a contemporary context very easily. There were, you know, exceptions, but generally that was the case. So uh, it was really feeling a bit of frustration because I've seen some great contemporary architecture. I love contemporary architecture. Uh, but there was this sort of um, uh, sort of poles. And I just thought, well, why let's just see what happens and try and do something about it. And did you look around at the time? Were there, were there other people trying to do what you were trying to do? Or did you literally go, I I'm trying to find something and I'm just not seeing anything like that. There were. There is a precedent of the Journée de Patrimoine, which came out of France, but that was looking at monument buildings and it's run by the government. So it was a sort of top down. There was also doors open in Scotland, but that was run by the preservation of mm. Scottish architecture. So everything was about uh, past and there wasn't anything just saying architecture. So though sometimes people think, oh, it's the same, actually the aims and objectives are quite different. But it's uh, some, you could say it's nuanced, but actually for us it's, it's really fundamental. And did, was, there, was there a point where you sat down in a pub or a cafe and you were like, do you know what, we should... Was the, do you remember that point where you decided to kind of do that thing or was it a very slow evolution? You came up with a kind of... This is what I want to try and achieve, and you want to you kind of slowly build up to what is now open house. Or was no, open I can't. House. I can't. To be true, I can't remember. The first two years, it was slightly not the same. When we only actually started with one day, um, so it was more about taking people around. Um, and it was so in the first year there was like twenty. We we went around, but by the year th three. Uh, 1994 we we're actually already 200 buildings so we changed quite quickly yeah. um so, so going back to the original buildings yeah. then what 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 made you choose those original 20 or how did you well, even get those architects well or it's owners? getting some, getting some architects i mean i think finsbury health center was in there which has been closed for a lot of time We've actually just got managed to get it open back open um so you're sort of new i mean obviously i lived in camden and there was Remember, there were architects departments, so you had Camden Architects Department. So you had a lot of good architecture around in some of the boroughs. So I sort of tackled it by looking at one or two boroughs, uh, councils, and actually saying to them, would you like to give me a bit of money because you've got some great architecture, your environment's really important, surely, you have architects department, blah, 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 and um, can you help? So they did early on, some of the boroughs did actually help. The other thing was, I do remember, I do remember <laughs> being in a pub, which I think is not there any longer in Camden, coming up with the name and saying, didn't want architecture because it was a barrier. Exhibition was really a barrier as well. Um, and wanted it to be open to everybody and said, okay, well, should be open house. And that's how we came up with it. But of course, 
it is an art exhibition because mm. you're seeing the real thing. And most exhibitions are seeing the re- real thing, not a mediated experience. Which and was, is and was the intention always to get uh, Joe Public, who may have maybe didn't have any knowledge of architecture, to go in the buildings they saw? Or was it to try and get other architects or people in those arenas to see other buildings? Or was it always decided for everyone? Was it's, that- well, it's always been for everybody, but it was really for <clears throat> the public. I'm... You know, in that sense, the public. But it was also to bring everybody together. So there wasn't this hierarchy, which there's always a, a, can be a dreadful thing where you everyone wants to engage people about something. And that's always, well, you should uh, know about this. Or I'm going to tell you about it. And I didn't really want to do that, A, because... I don't like being told what to do. I'm not very good at it. Um, And I just thought this is not the way to engage. What you want to show them is something real and have a conversation. So even then, most probably it was to sort of get into things that you normally can't get into because actually architecture is about a building as a whole thing. Mm. Um, Obviously, that is attractive to people. Um, And even quite early on is trying to bring one or two uh, houses into the programme because that's something that is close to everybody. Everybody understands home. But I think that's one of the... That was one of the reasons I was so excited uh, when when you said you'd come on the podcast was because I personally love the idea of having open architecture. I don't... I really don't like that invisible barrier when you someone when you ask someone a question they're like you don't know about that building you're like well no I don't and I hate it when people say that because you're like well why don't you explain it to me and I, I like the idea of of experience I think there was a quote on uh, the open city website which says uh, you can't uh, you can't experience architecture through textbooks and I just thought that's so true I mean you should especially in London there's so many buildings that you can't go in and to actually, because isn't the queue now for Lloyd's to get in on Open City ridiculous? Oh, the Open House weekend is just, uh, um, it's a bit like a football match now. I mean, sometimes last year was, cha- I mean, chaotic. <laughs> it's like uh, crowd control. I think we're actually experts in crowd control now. Uh, but yes, it's sort of a real in- interest. And it was, it was also about... Um, showing, not just showing people, but actually... The aim really was always behind it was uh, helping people to be more informed. So therefore, you would be more articulate articulate to demand something. So there's sort of a circle in this, in mm. my mind always, that if you're more informed, and therefore in terms of architecture, you need to be looking at it, comparing, contrasting, which was another part of it. So the more it's like... The more you know, the less you know. Mm, yeah. And it's absolutely true. So you think, I, I know what I like. And then, oh, well, that's around the corner or uh, I've got a shot opportunity. I might as well just do that. And you're surprised that you might not still like it, but you actually respect it because you've heard or you've seen it. Mm. So it's really about uh, that sort of be helping people to become more informed in their own right mm. and empower them as well. Empower them to actually say, I don't like that or I, I, why, aren't, why don't we have that because rather than just saying I don't like. It's so true because uh, <coughs> I think with the, with the podcast, I obviously used to listen to a few, but now I do one. I listen to so many more and I really give it the time that I would never have normally done before. And it's the same with buildings. I think one of the things I liked was uh, people make snap decisions on buildings. Oh, it's horrible. But they don't understand. There's a very, very, very good reason why it's 
years and years of design development. And I think the second you understand that every building has a reason for existing, you want to... You can still not like buildings, that's mm. absolutely fine. But you you want to understand why, and you're a lot more, I think, as architects, you, you're, I guess, forgiving, not forgiving, but it's the wrong word. But I think the idea of letting, enabling the public to go into buildings is such a, such a big, it's because, it, as you said, it's so, there's so many people that do it now on, the, on your open, how many was it last time? It was like 200,000 oh, 200, people. That's, that's crazy. Do you look back and look now and you go, <laughs> it's ridiculous because how architecture is like really cool now. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like that when no. you first started then. It was, no. Did you have, so Lloyd's building, for example, that was on, that was on your original. That came in quite early on. Uh, but I mean, we, you know, we have piles of files <laughs> saying no. No way, are you mad sort of thing. But we kept knocking on that door. And I think it was trying to make sure that we had a range of buildings. That was one of the things. There's other reasons, but not for particularly for this conversation. But um, I just wanted to make sure that we did have a range of buildings and that um, it was about the everyday. And I think that's a sort of key difference from a sort of journey to patrimoine sort of thing. It's about grand buildings. And I wanted to actually show how you live, work and play. You can have uh, design on the everyday. And a lot of things are not perfect. But when you understand it a bit more or you respect it, might not like it, but you understand um why it came about and um, and buildings, uh, built environment is complicated. There's a lot of people involved, as we know. And I think, again, realising that um, it isn't just about, you know, the architect up in the Cairn Garrett, etc. It is about a lot of people com- coming together and in a way agreeing on something mm. and um, hopefully doing something really well. <laughs> and do you... Do you uh... Do you have the same buildings year in, year out, or did you create them at the beginning and try and... Did you find out what the public loved the first time you did it? And you think, well, if they like those, I'll maybe have a few more. That's no, it wasn't the kind of... Everyone says, what was strategy? We, the, the, the word strategy didn't exist 23 years ago. <laughs> 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 we just can't... Is it, you know, there's sort of usually 80% you know what are good, um, are considered good. Um, obviously, the older buildings, it's easier because there's a lot's been written about mm. it. Then the newer ones, well, there are awards and everything else. And actually, just when one went out on the street, and looked around so this you know and you built up I mean, knew quite, quite a lot of architects anyway practices so it was sort of going well what what do you got and we've quietly we've always quietly curated uh, we don't have a panel or anything else it's sort of most of the last 20 percent so someone will say oh victoria why do you have that one in and then someone will say well why do you have that one in so you can't please everybody but it is about actually realising there's all types and everything else and it's quite Catholic. Any city is quite Catholic in its its, uh, its, its architecture, in fact. It's, I just, I, I love the idea of you having that conversation of, because uh, I, I imagine there must be some buildings where people just don't get it. I, I, why have you put that building in? You're, and do you sit down and explain them? You're like, oh, that's fine. If you don't like it, that's absolutely mm. your, maybe read don't this. Don't go to it. Yeah. 
you've got to, well it's like brutalism you know everyone um, now I see kind of a, a brutalist tour you know and I actually was um, where was I going to Oslo I think to launch Open House Oslo and in that in-flight magazine it was talk about brutalism in London I thought wow that wouldn't have happened 23 years ago so you know it's, it's also what comes round as well things do come round and so so you first you first started it's called open house and this idea that uh open house had this kind of friendly connotation of a house it was open to everyone and then that's changed now to open city no well the actual organization we originally were open house we had an event but Hopefully we had a bit of money, so we needed a bank account, so we called it Open House. And it actually took um, till uh, 2010 to say, because we'd started lots of other programmes, um, that uh, by this time I said, look, uh, we're doing so much. We're not just about Open House. And people say, so what do you do for the rest of the year you know, after 48 hours? <laughs> and the other teams were going absolutely ballistic saying you know uh, through our education program so we said no the organization needs to change its name to open city and the programs stay as a sort of in fact they're kind of like mini brands so open mm. house is a a program but it's sort of mini brand along with our archie kids green sky thinking etc yeah. but it is the one everybody recognizes and it's the easiest way to describe us as an organization and just say okay do you know about open house in september and they go oh yeah great and off we go because that because i want to talk about the uh, the mm. kind of accelerate and all the other programs mm. and stuff but um I, d- I just for for i guess i'm trying to work out how wh- why you start like why so you started open house and then that became that became your job, or was this part time? You, you kind of how how did that work? At the yeah, beginning? I mean, we're all volunteers. I mean, it was in my spare room, my partner Ken. We kind of every I don't I don't even know where volunteers other volunteers came from, um, but somehow they sort of came to the flat. I had my own sort of. Um, organization kind of freelance I was doing at the time, um, writing and things. And um, so it started in the home and then we got a bit of money. So eventually managed to get like someone doing half day or one or two days a week. And in 1994, sort of just two years, I was actually headhunted by the RIBA to set up their as director of the R- their first RIBA architecture centre. So actually I had... A half-time job at the RIBA, which is more like a full-time with a team there. And then I had this volunteer side with a half day a week or whatever with somebody else, part-time with open house. So I actually had two jobs and I'm still writing books. So I actually had most probably about three jobs. So I was doing everything. Um, <laughs> Keeping busy to, then. Up to 1998, that's what I did. I did the two combined. Um, and people would just come into the flat Um and just have the key come in and I they would be in the different rooms and the bedrooms sort of selling the idea of would you like to open your house or home for free or your building um, no we're not going to give you any money it's for the public good it's for civic pride and want to show off you know some great design <laughs> would you do this <laughs> we were always doing that so it was just like a call centre really. and they were like sorry what you want me to open my building for free mm. yeah and have total strangers you know coming through your house um, so we were quite you know quite good at, I suppose we must have by even third year of 200 buildings they were a mixture of things as well they were all totally close uh, but they were sort of we thought they're good 
expressions of uh, design. So we had that. And then it just got more and more volunteers and it got bigger. We got to a point where we only could have a one-way system around the room because we had so many files and things. So <laughs> if you wanted to get A to B, you had to go clockwork or anti-clockwise. So in the, in the West Wing of the Dead, the filing cabinet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, if I was ill, then you just didn't dare be ill because there's nowhere to <laughs> be ill. There's no bedroom to go into and, and kind of curl up. Because like the, the, the whole... The whole premise of the podcast, right, this idea of Create More, was uh, the reason I'm asking you how it started like, and I'm really finding out <laughs> is because I am really interested in how you got to a point where you just decided you want to do an idea and then everyone knows that and then sees what it is now. And I love hearing about how it first starts because it's you said I was like, what's your strategy? And you're like, strategy? I didn't have a strategy. And that makes me so happy because <laughs> this idea that everyone should have this brilliantly perfectly formed plan from day one and what I like hearing about is just how people are constantly evolving the idea and it takes years for what you had in your head to become the kind of the thing that it is and were there years where you were like did you did you start off we're going to do this every year or was it I mean how did you keep the momentum I think it was called suck it and see quite (laughs) frankly um I think it's partly, I mean, going back to your thing, I think it's about passion. Everyone says you're very enthusiastic. And I know my team's always been called enthusiastic. Um, And it's having a a passion. Without a passion for something, enthusiasm and go get, you'll never do any, you'll never start anything, I don't think. So you have to have that. And I think you must probably have that. uh, I've got independence, let's put it yeah. that way. So there's always that. But when it goes on, no, I had no idea. I mean, we had no money. I mean, we go, this is great, but how do we keep this going? So people say, oh, it's happening next year. And we go, well, we don't know. And then we manage it. And then, oh, it's going to happen next year. And we go, no, we don't know if it's happening. It's quite time consuming. Um, but somehow just felt, really wanted to see where it would go um, and didn't know it would grow into what it's grown into. And is it is the is the idea that it would always be, you're a non, non-for-profit, mm. are you a charity? Is yeah. That, yeah. Was the idea that it would always be that straight from the off or why yeah. why not try and change it into business? I, I think it's great that it is a charity. I'm not, I'm not trying to lead you down there. I'm, just, I'm curious <laughs> as your decision. Um, I think it was, Ava, there was no social enterprise. There was no other things like that. But it was so no one could make it into something else. And I suppose in a way trying to keep it tight. Um, and it was for everybody and thought, well, if you try and make it into this potential to make it, uh, you know, have a monetary basis, it means we wouldn't have access for everyone. And that was one of the key things of saying it's for everybody. Mm. And it wasn't a monetary barrier. And I think that would have happened actually incredibly quickly. Um, Or there would be sort of the VIP, you know, the kind of levels and we're very flat when it comes to the weekend. No one can jump a queue unless you work. You know, it's a sort of, so there was this feeling of it, it was about just making something, caring about your environment. And that didn't really happen. It only happened in membership terms. So there were societies, but again, you had to belong to something. And we just thought, that's not what a, you know a, your environment's about. And it's that also sticks to your very fundamental core that it's open for everyone. And you're right, the second you start charging, which buildings charge? £20 a ticket, which buy? And I, that makes total sense. Yeah. I just, I think, I just was curious. So you're carrying it on each year, and I imagine it just must take up... S- 
you're one day a week for this idea. That must be a running joke that it's just one day a week because it mm. must take the months before it must it must be full time for you, oh, right? No, it's for, I mean my team. I sort of sort of in the <laughs> CEO role these days, but I can roll up my sleeves when I need to, <laughs> um, and did write it uh, for a long time. Um, but it is it is immensely um, time consuming because you're building relationships all the time, and it is about relationships. People trusting you um, that you will do this well. You're going to strangers' homes, and the other thing is we wanted it to be uh, for the residents of the city, and that's over years it's become. As it's become more and more popular, it's become more problematic, strangely. So even when we got some money, we could get it from the tourist board. And I said, well, we don't want it from the tourist board because we don't want tourists. We're actually, it's an aim to actually help the residents of London to be more informed to demand something more of their city and their environment. So we weren't here to do a festival. Yeah. It's a means to an end. So it's the end of saying helping to be more empowered, more informed, uh, caring about your environment, demanding something. And this just happens to be the best way of doing it. It'd be much easier because think of a better way to do it. But haven't come up with it yet. When you when you say uh, <coughs> at getting people to demand more from their built environment, mm. how how does that manifest itself? How, how does uh, when when you see it as this cycle of kind of you allow anybody to go in these fantastic buildings and they get this passion for architecture, then how are you saying that uh, then they'll go on to ask more of a certain area they live in or understand yeah. when so. Trying to think because one of the things I want to move on to is the this idea of the feedback loop of how mm. that kind of manifests itself, and this is going on to the kind of accelerate program. Mm. Well, I think just taking that uh, through is about if you um, if you're more aware. In a way, we say it's about starting on a journey. So if you say once you know something, you open up your eyes. So we know if people. Well, as everyone says, done open house, they will start looking. So we've taken a first step straight away. Um, so that is one of the things of helping people to just be more informed. And both sides, I mean, I'm talking about the built environment professionals hearing and listening and and explaining what they've been trying to do. Um, so there's that important part of it. Also with open house, Actually, it's really hard work. It's like doing homework. If you've ever tried to go, where shall I go? If you know one building, fine. But after that, you go, where, what do I do? And you have to sit there and work it out. So you're doing a lot of work. It's not handed on a plate to you. And by the time you're doing that, you're actually learning. So we call it horrible thing of self-learning. But it is the fact that you're built and you don't know you're learning. You're mm. just reading things. You think, well, what's that? What's that building? Or who's it by? Oh, I don't. That sounds interesting. No, that doesn't sound interesting. So you're, you're doing quite a lot of work. Yeah. And even if the first year you're not doing, you might just go to one building you still will tend to go, oh, I'll just go around the corner for another one. So you're doing a lot of learning. And it is an edge. <laughs> I would never say it out in, if I was doing the press or anything and saying it's an educational event, but actually fundamentally it yeah, is. Yeah, I think that But right. no one, uh, turn, I wouldn't turn up. I was told I was going to an education event at <laughs> an the weekend. An education event on the weekend. Yeah, you must be kidding. <laughs> so, so then, so when did, because I'm obviously taking part mm. in the Accelerate programme. And uh, so... I feel really strongly and I really enjoy 
the idea of tutoring. And I did some tutoring at Nottingham as a tutoring part ones. And I really enjoy it. So was, that's why I got involved. But I was hoping you could explain, well, why Accelerate and what age groups and stuff and the bit of the history behind that. Okay. Uh, well, Accelerate is the Accelerate into University. So it's a mentoring program for it's always these words hard to reach non from non-traditional family i.e. those who basically don't have the support usually of middle class uh, parents and families and teachers uh, but they want to go into something in the built environment Mm. and this is a way to help those uh, go through that have a better chance of getting through the process because actually it's partly the process um, like understanding how you do kind of critical thinking how you build a portfolio how you do admissions how to build self-confidence all those things are when you actually go for interview that's where you often they often stumble yeah. um, so it's giving them those tools to be able to have a more of a level playing field with the others coming in who tend to be middle class, et cetera, et cetera. So it's feeling that if society is about um, everybody, architecture is about everybody, it should actually reflect um, our society. And and where I think we all would agree um, that it doesn't always do that. So this sort of came, though, from... Um, I have to track back because someone in four years after, no, six years after started Open House, noticed that during that time teachers were coming to open house and we also saw kids coming with their mums and dads and things so felt that actually the problem is if we look at the adults open house was great because we're starting on a journey Um, but for future generations how did you uh, get them involved and so we felt we had to need to go into schools but the curriculum doesn't have it so we decided to start building programs. So we had architecture in schools from 1997. And what, uh, what age was this when you say this schools? Was second, these were secondary. So we're sort of looking at uh, 14 to 16, 17-year-olds. Oh, wow. And uh, in 10 years, I think we'd actually um, uh, delivered a pr- our various programs to 30,000 kids. I mean, this year we, alone, we've we've reached out to 5,000 young Londoners and all of those have seen a building at least, and that's the minimum. And they've most probably seen a met an architect and they've actually done a creative workshop with us. Right. So we've sort of, we grew a lot of our educational, but it's sort of not known in, in the, you know, our, sector um, because obviously we're reaching out to teachers a lot more so that's what started and then we built other programs so we have really about three strong educational programs but we realized that they were doing this and then the kids would say and teachers so um, where do they go now how do they get into architecture and we said well Mm, that's a bit of a problem <laughs> Good and question. it's not really what we're doing we're about education but we realised that maybe we needed to build this kind of programme and I'd actually gone to UCL to uh, Alan Penn the dean there about um, accreditation so if you're tutoring uh, of the students were helping why couldn't get the credits and he said, no 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 it can't happen I said well I've got another I've got another idea <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at this and that's how we started uh, Accelerate with UCL being one of our partners and Make uh, became our uh, practice partner because it's so nice because it, it then means that the uh, the ideas and the imagination are, uh, what's your kind of that's your currency as opposed to just having the right qualifications from the, the right 
school. And I think this, I'm, I mean, I'm really curious to see because we obviously did the presentation mm. last week and you ran us through and we just received the email of the, the two students that me and MJ are going to look after mm. and their work and their sketches and stuff. And I was already impressed with their sketching and buildings and stuff. And I was just thinking... Because I personally came into architecture quite late. I didn't really know I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be an engineer and then realised I was really crap at engineering. <laughs> but I like the architecture <laughs> side of stuff. And I didn't know I wanted to do that until I was like 21, 20, 21. So the idea that a 16-year-old, especially so, architecture seems like such a massive gamble because people go, you know, it's seven years, seven years. <laughs> but this idea that they get to experience it, especially coming to make and things or any big practice, you know, mm. just to see... This is the end game. This is this is what it. Mm. It's no more complicated than this. It is as complicated, but no more complicated than this. And I think, yeah, I can't wait. And if they before they come into your program, into the program, if they they haven't been into an office, this is the very. Yes, most probably they might have done a work experience because most kids have to do it and things. And I think this is, is seeing the environment, but actually what we're really interested in is not about work experience because you know they don't do that, but it's helping, it's mentoring them. Mm. So you're the mentors because that's actually what often people need is a mentor. Yeah. You know, your parents might be your mentor to help you through. Um, so this is actually giving them to a mentor, but not just a mentor to reflect, but actually keep in a way so sort of pushing them to think in the way that they need to be, because that is quite a transformation, in fact, from school mm. um, to actually doing that independent thinking. There is quite actually quite a big gap. Um, so this actually helps them to do that because when they get to the you know interview process even if they have wonderful drawings if they can't start expressing it yeah. um, it's more difficult so we want to give them as many tools as possible so coming into the sort of the real environment to actually be thinking in that way is sort of a, a win-win situation yeah definitely I mean as I said at the beginning of the podcast I always like I always like to see that when people first start they didn't know 100% what they're doing and they've that 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 kind of feeling of uh, you don't see this kind of invisible barrier that you can't get through. You can see the trail of progression. You just believe in the process. You don't know how to start. Be passionate and you'll slowly work up, right? And this idea that when they come in, they will see the first time you do a building, it's a series of really kind of basic sketches. And then you do models and you scrap the whole thing and then you restart again and again and mm -hmm. again. And then that idea that, because when I first started, I thought every sketch had to be perfect the first time I mm -hmm. did it. And in fact, I probably still do to a certain extent. I don't want to, like, this idea you just get in and splash around and, you know, make mistakes. I'm still crap. <laughs> I, know, I know it's a process, but it's it's so fast and things. So this idea they have this quite, I mean, it must be quite intense for them, you know, what, two or three hours. Mm. That's a long time to concentrate in an environment. Yeah. Uh, not overwhelming, but if you've never been here yeah. into an office and... And also, it's a, it's nearly a nine month program, so it's not we we don't believe in quick fixes, and I think that's often another reason why our programs are such. We don't just do one afternoon, do some kind of creative exercise and things. We actually uh, want to take people through a process and realise it takes time. And also, if you are um, if you're not very uh, uh, confident in things, to actually give you that time and space to be at, at, be able to do that. And a lot of these uh, young people, 
are bright. They have to to get on the programme. They mm. really do need to be bright. But surprisingly, then they just don't have those other parts. So it actually is helping them to feel that, yes, they can do this. Yeah. But and also, as you said, is you don't have to get everything right the first time. It's like going up those cul-de-sacs. What about design ideas developing is the whole point of going up, falling back, going in and out, all those things. And they learn it's okay to do that because that's one of the real things that I think they don't tend to learn at school. It's sort Mm. of right or or wrong. 100% agree. That's why I think exams are just... I'm personally not a huge fan of exams and the way they operate, but that's because I'm not very good at them. Uh, (laughs) I'm the same. (laughs) Whereas this idea, I think one of the things I love is that when you're doing CAD work and design work, once you've written it, once you've drawn it there, it's on the paper. Whereas I find that the more stress you get with memorising things, it's ironic that the more stress you get, the less you can memorise stuff. But I just, does when you... You first started off with open house and you got people into buildings and you see that kind of conversation start happening. And then you do the accelerate program and you start to see the younger generation of people Mm. getting to it. This must be just must feel great to see that process. You know, I think that's one of the the only things that I don't like as such over big, long projects is you don't have that kind of real time feedback of you're doing something, something productive and creative. And it goes on for quite long. And I like this idea of you have quite a tangible benefit of the things that you're adding to the architecture environment, if that makes yes sense. Yes and no. I mean, people say to me, I remember a journalist said, so what uh, What evidence do you have that you've had an impact? And I said, <laughs> I don't. I mean, you know, people go out into the world, uh, young, young Londoners, kids go out. They might come back. They might come back as volunteers, and some of them do. And they said, oh, you remember, you know, I got a prize at, you know, but I haven't become an architect and I didn't want to become that. But, you know, it was great that I got that prize. And then you get three, you know, we're into three generations now. So we mm-hmm. had mother and daughter and now we have grandmother, mother and daughter. That's a bit frightening. Um, <laughs> I'm still around. Um, but it actually does take people through and what they are doing is telling everybody else. So um, that whole thing of, yes, we see the end result, but we don't. We're sort of like ringmasters in a way. We're sort of setting that and setting everybody off with some tools, as it were. Uh, But after that, they're on their own, really. Because I was was reading some of your kind of, um, you've also got some blog posts on your Mm. your website and stuff. And so it's been how long has it been? It's been twenty five years or twenty two. Twenty three years. Twenty three years. And in that in that time, you must have seen London transform hugely, and there must you obviously feel very passionate to write about these things. So are there are there, are there things that you champion for and things you champion against, or do you try and sit back and let it play out, and or do you really try and get stuck in? Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. Uh, if I think if I had really been loved writing and being a real kind of journalist, mm. I would have had a different approach to it in a way and I would have been writing everything about it. But that's not me. I'm, I'm much more verbal uh, or vocal sometimes um, write, rather than writing my thoughts down. So actually there wasn't a mechanism. So actually having blogs is, is a way that you can just 
talk, write it down. Yeah. Um, so, and in a way, I was uh, looking at more um, champion, but more questioning. So, putting the questions out. We're not, I'm not the expert, I'm a generalist in a way. Uh, so, it's much more about putting those questions out and see how people respond to it. But they were, there's usually always a question that's current and a current issue um, that's sort of around that people are passionate about or they want a conversation about. So, you know, we started sustainability because actually the public were interested in it more than anybody else. Mm. Um, and so we built that up. So then I'd have want to talk about that or school design. We did for three years, um, three publications for the Department of Education, looking at not from the design point of view only what the designer's intent, intention was, but actually the response by the users and that was the point of the publication to say why they thought it they had a good school and for what reason so it was actually giving information back so that's how we tend to or I have tended to and that's maybe because my own limitations are not being able to write kind of big prose or anything <laughs> but you have you found that you're you're starting to get you where you are on advisory boards and things you know because of your kind of background and experience mm. in London is that do you enjoy being like the June book? Because you must see, not only do you see the actual output, you see what's going on behind the scenes and how those things develop and stuff. It must it must be really interesting yeah. just to kind of get stuck in at that I, level. I did. I sort of pulled back after a while because it can A, take a lot of time. I mean, I was on the Arts Council um, Architecture Advisory Panel and I always remember we looked at the lottery came in and we said, okay, tick box, tick box, tick box. There's no tick box for design. This is madness, you know, the architecture panel. Um, and so that was really good. And that was under Palumbo, actually, um, that we got design as a criteria within the Arts Council for the lottery. However, the sports board didn't have it for about four or five years. So actually, if you looked at the old lottery of the sports, they're really badly designed mm. because it wasn't a criteria. So when it's something like that, you feel part of it. Um, but I'm I'm sort of a person who wants to think and do. And that's why I say in the team, you have to think, but you have to do it at the same time. So thinking all the time is great. Um, it's lovely going to a conference or whatever, but um, I'd rather just sort of get on and try things and I say I'm quite independent <laughs> no but I think that's great I think I, I, I think that uh, as you said I like to do stuff as well I think uh, it's very easy to write stuff it's very easy to talk the talk but to walk the walk as well and to actually I guess get on the front line is a good way of describing it but to back up your opinions with you know well I went out and did it and we're doing open house and yeah. it does you know so many people and stuff and I just I just think it's um for me personally I have only ever been in my own little world, in my own little pocket of whatever I want to see at whatever given time. So I actually realised there was so much stuff I hadn't seen. And now doing the podcast and having that ability to go and chat to people. And I, I like the idea of exploring the environment that you're in. And I personally haven't been in London for five years, seeing the kind of, I guess, explosion of development mm. everywhere. I mean, when I first started at Make in, what, 2008, we were kind of in the recession and... It was a real kind of, oh, my God, you know, we're going to have to make people redundant. And it, and it was at that time, I, it was seen as really unlike it was seen as really um, kind of not common to be on a building site. Mm. It 
everything was done in computers. And I remember us talking to people who'd been here at Make for six years and never been on on site. <laughs> and now half our projects are on site, like half the office mm-hmm. is on sites and stuff. And you look out, I went, I, was, I went for a run on Primrose Hill and to see the kind of sea of cranes everywhere and to see potentially what potentially might be happening in the city, the, you know, the centre of the city and seeing these mega tall buildings go up. Did you... Do you find that uh, certain students are drawn to certain types of architecture? This kind of because this is why I can't wait mm. to. This is I. I was genuinely thinking I'd like to sit down and have a podcast with a sixteen-year-old who is totally at the very first step mm. of what they're about to do, and I'd love to hear what they think of architecture. You know, like do they do they like tall buildings? Do they understand them? Are they is it just wow? Because I think from an engineering point of view, they're incredible, right? Mm. They're like our new cathedrals, but is that do you actively encourage them to look at certain typologies and you're like no we try to i think this is a sort of live work and play i mean the things the wow factor with teenagers will always do it i mean um you can be very cool i mean i, I always remember the story it's slightly different but um the tower of london we had another program it was a game for hard to reach kids from peckham let's put it that way and they'd never been to the Thames and they were 15, 16, 17 year olds. So that, never been to the Thames? Never, three in miles, Peckham. never been. Yeah. And uh, we had this program. And anyway, we were taking them uh, around and we took them to Tower of London, which made me actually a, realize actually it was a, a quite, it's a village. I thought, oh, Tower of London, you know, heritage, blah, blah. but realized there was a village, there was a doctor there and everything else. Anyway, there were crown, crown jewels and we had these very, uh, cool guys in the program and uh, the girls went round and looked at the jewels but the boys went wow those are really that bling is going, what's bling? <laughs> and, and they and they went round again and said wow these kind of jewels and everything and they were mesmerized by it and I think that is what happens with buildings as well so mm. that's what they're picking up initially yeah. and then you get under the skin a bit further yeah. of what what you like, what you don't like. Especially London's kind of, they, that round of the last maybe 15 years of iconic skyscrapers, they they had to have an iconic shape, iconic <laughs> inverted commas. But yeah, I think, because I'm just, I, the reason I'm interested, I, I remember being that age and I remember not being very passionate about certain things. And it just, you just need that little spark of someone to point in the right direction. But it was always tall buildings I <laughs> like loved. But now I kind of, I guess it's because you see them so often. But <laughs> so... I think you're now stepping down, stepping sideways. Like, how would you describe how <laughs> what, what's going on now with Open City? Well, I think yeah, I didn't expect it as it were be around. Um, I suppose I've been lucky enough. Um, I I stayed as a, a director, as a sort of founding director. So, um, but I had a because it's a charity. I had a board, um, but I most probably was very lucky that um, as long as I kept everything in the right direction and we were successful in what we were doing we're able to um, develop things so in a way that's what when I say we have five programs mm. they're real strong programs and I think respected so I've enjoyed uh, developing or seeing the opportunities to develop but um, in that I also feel I would just kind of like to do concentrate on a few things and um, 
and they're still to do with open city. So I will, my title will become founder uh, once I've got a director in, soon hope. <laughs> um, I can then have holiday. Um, and I'm going to do two things. One is um, actually carry on sort of being founder of Open House Worldwide because Open House concept, and I go back to the concept, is um, – it works everywhere. So this model of in, in public engagement or stakeholder engagement, politicians, uh, the profession, the re residents, works every single time, or I'll touch wood as I say that. Um, so this has been developed by other individuals who also have to become non-for-profit. Non so they take our name and they take our values. They don't Payers, it's not a franchise, um, but they usually come from volunteers who've been here and then gone back to their own country and city and said, oh, can we do it there? So it's grown. And in 2010, we were 10 cities and in effect, they kept starting to grow. So without sounding grand about a brand and things, but because everything's uh, international now, um, we thought, well, we could either kind of try and sue them. We'd, a, we don't have enough money for all doing that, <laughs> but that's not the approach we have. So we said, let's create a, a positive uh, approach and a mm. tent and create this family. So this family started with about four, two, then three, nothing grand, and, and we had no strategy. It just kept coming. So by 2010, I say there's 10, uh, by 2015 this year, worth 30. And the rate it's going, I know there's, I'm launching eight next year. So by 2017, we're likely to be nearer 50 cities. Wow. But they're all independent and they will have to find their own money, but they take our values. And one of the things I do is sort of like a surgery with Skype to try and make yeah, sure they're idea. the right, have the right ethos um i go and launch it which is always very nice but it's i haven't told my partners that i'm not around much next year because i'm <laughs> always running around the world um so i want to do that because it's coming up to our 25th anniversary but also again to see what it impacts i really trying to develop a impact study of saying underlying why it's so successful. Mm. It's not about opening buildings, as I say, that's educated, but why is it so successful every single time where the public come up and say, this is fantastic, we're seeing our city for the first time, we feel we're part of it, um, we feel empowered by it. They call it a very democratic event. Um, it's democratising the city, democratising space. These are words I wouldn't use myself. Mm. But this is being um, said to us. So there's a lot going on and the politicians get it, especially abroad. Mm. So, you know, you'll get a mayor wanting to be at launch and all those things. So there is something is trying to get behind it yeah. again. It's like you're saying what's behind. So that's what I'm going to do uh, next year. And also the education is doing s similar things of how we've made this sort of process and this models that we've we've developed which again you know most probably will get replicated elsewhere like archie kids festival yeah. which is as you know it's for kids and and parents and adults can come to if the longest they behave so we've got so that's what there is I'm no smiling to. is there i just heard you say what five minutes ago i want to I want to step down so I have a bit more time and uh, so I'm just going to do open house worldwide and uh, <laughs> you're like that sounds sounds slightly more ambitious than just uh, one city you're going around the world but uh, it's nice to hear you kind of 
be that passionate and I guess not uh, protective, but you want people to get it from the foundations and build up to open city mm. in whichever city there is, there is, as opposed to misinterpret what they think open city stands for because that must so easily happen right yeah people go well we'll pay that's it we'll pay and then they have yeah. to pay to get in and uh it must um well we were talking when i met you last time about this idea that every city will have its own interpretation of uh it just it will have its own language and everything so you can almost imagine like a pool of buildings that, that i guess a website i guess like a highly or Instagram and things. I guess social media is the easiest way for people to digest all these images and photos of buildings that uh, architectural photography is always kind of empty, grand buildings. Mm. But the ones that I really like when I see open house is you see queues of people, mm. not people in suits in Lloyds, looks mm. really, really funny because it, it looks so out of character. and it's designed for yeah, that yeah, function. Yeah, and, uh, and, I, and I really like that and... I was just thinking, you know, you've got this huge, where well, you're going to have a worldwide network of people and universities, I guess, as well, and schools. And... Well, I think that's in, in 2017, want to, my final thing, and then I, re, I mean, no director wants a founding previous director hanging around. So I, I'm very, uh, I'm very sure I'm not going to be doing that because um, I want to do other things. Mm. <laughs> I just want to finish this bit off. Um, but we have uh, in open house around the world, in some of the cities, the students become the volunteers and it's part of their accreditation. So they get points idea. for their course. And I think that's really important because it helps them straight away, 18, 19-year-old, A, having to start explaining about um the building so they have to understand the design mm. they've got to communicate it in a, a normal language around architectural gobbledygook as i often say oh, yeah no totally with you on that and yeah. um and hopefully that will then um uh, go back into their practice and uh wherever they work um and i think that's a really important part of this worldwide basis so the some of the cities do that they do different things or and some of the cities take it on board because they um monterey mexico they wanted to move from an industrial city to a cultural city as that progression and they're using open house architecture as a medium to do that and i think that's quite a, an interesting way yeah, it's fantastic. so there's lots of reasons behind it but it's usually it has to be for the residents of that place Otherwise, why should I open my house for a load of tourists in the nicest possible way? That's not yeah, our, yeah, our aims and objectives. But you're right. It's sometimes you have to keep pressing and proving that this is the right model because everybody says, you know, thinks, oh, we can do something different. Mm. And we're saying, no, it really works. It's a simple idea. That's the. I think that's the key. And keep you, it simple. Yeah, you sold almost the title is the entire an open city for everyone, an open house for everyone. And I think that must, uh, again, you must see it just to see it expand again because mm. you're almost sitting back and 
you could allow it to happen on its own random ways, but you want a bit, an element of control. But you're saying you go out there and open it officially to try and, and yes. sit down with them and talk them through. And Yes, and I go and officially do it in several ways. One, I'm sort of mon- monitoring them in a nice possible way <laughs> to make sure it is working as uh, so we want. Um, also to uh, help them with publicity because you sort of get the local, global, local. So mm. if you think that there's now most probably nearly a million people taking part in this one event if you think of it like that, because mm. everybody does the same. Is it all so, on the same weekend? Is that no, it, everyone started straight after us, so they all came right. And then, of course, the seasons, you go, well, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you're not going to do it at, you know, yeah. kind of at 40 degrees, you know, <laughs> you'd be mad. Um, so they started spreading out. So there's only a few months left, um, but they do keep coming. I mean, this, this week alone, um, I've had from Mumbai... Uh, Boston, Florence, and I can't think of this. So I've had four emails this week, and we're only on Tuesday. Wow. Saying we'd like to do um, Colombo, uh, Colombo uh, Sri Lanka. Um, <laughs> can we like to you know, take this? I've, I've really thought about it, and I've looked at your Q&A on your website. And at the same time next year, there's should be launching is, well, Mumbai's one, Kuala Lumpur, Seoul, San Diego and Chile, San Diego and America, Milan, um, Stockholm. And those are the ones I can think of straight away. You are going to be spectacularly well-travelled by 2017, I know. And, and then you? someone says about your carbon footprint, you're on the sustainability. I go, yeah. OK, let's not talk about that. <laughs> you're like, I'm just one person. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're coming up to the hour mark, so mm. I'll wrap this up now. But uh I still have so many questions, but I, I will uh, I'll save that maybe for another time. And uh, but this idea that you've you've seen open house and open city and open you've seen the whole the whole cycle. What's it like knowing that you're going to step down from open city and, and pass that kind of mantle onto someone else? Do you are you like do you know what? I've 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 seen it all. Like it, I've had it's exactly how I wanted to end it. I couldn't have hoped for a better ending. Or are you, are you kind oh, of? Oh God, no. <laughs> I, I I mean I have loads of drawers. My team knows. I can pull out and go. Oh, in that drawer, but we didn't find the funding. It's usually to do with funding more than anything. It might be the right time, but not the funding or whatever. Um, because remember, I have to say we don't get any core funding from anywhere. So we never got money given to us and worked through. So we actually act more like a business, like we have to sell our yeah. ideas to people and for them to actually buy into us and believe in us. Um, so we had lots of draws. And there's a lot of things I know I would really like us to be doing more, but we haven't for a variety of reasons. And so, I, you know, Part of me, yes, there's some things I yeah, I hope people take that on. But they'll come up with our other ideas, as I have and the team has, because it is a team effort. Mm. I mean, I'm sort of the the voice, as it were, but um, there's always just a great team and dedicated and passionate team behind and including volunteers. So it's a whole mixture of people who are just passionate. Um, so you're looking for a new director now as a CEO? Or... Yes. So there's a new director, hopefully by Christmas, I will have one in place. Um, uh-huh. And I'll just do a bit of sort of advisory role with them, but get on with this other and really just, uh, yeah, I have some ideas and one or two, one thing I definitely most probably will set up 
because um, I think that's a gap I'd like to plug. Um, and I think I can do it by setting something up. So it's uh, not very but, cryptic. Are you able to say what it no, is? No, nothing, man, because I've got to, I've got to <laughs> do it. There's no good kind of you can talk about it, but then do it, don't do it. So I'm going to have to make sure I do it and I can talk about it. But also other opportunities because what's great about Open City that one's been so immersed in it, mm. but it quite like to just come out and say a bit more and ref- see and maybe just uh, be in a bit position to actually uh, show from the evidence and things actually there are different ways of doing it doing things um, around our subject area um, and have the opportunity to maybe people might ask me to look at something or other I don't know it's just giving that space to be able to see what happens after 23 years I quite like a bit of space yeah I bet well so so what what is there anything you can say that you would love Open City to achieve? If, if the, okay, let's say for the new CEO, what, oh, no, that would be <laughs> any pressure. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. I think the one thing I would say that we started about three years ago, uh, open debate, which is just for the weekend, which actually other cities do. It's not you know not us coming up with it first, and it's just debating, putting a question out of what are the issues uh, in London that time, and we. Lots. I mean, we get thousands of people for the ballot. For over 100, you might get five or 8,000 people. So there is a, a real thirst out there to be connecting the public, feeling they are connected with it and they don't see an avenue to do that. Mm-hmm. So Open Debate, the annual Open Debate does that. And also uh, we've done over that time um, – always a poll or a survey. So we're always asking the public what they see think about certain issues. Wow. And I think that is a minefield, actually, because I think as an organisation, we're seen as trusted, independent. Mm. We're not being pushed around by anybody. That's the good thing, I suppose, about really not having money. Thing. And so we've got a really strange, we're just like a hybrid, really. We're a strange position whereby we have actually potentially have a voice for others, but we're not demanding things. We're just being the conduit. And how that conduit can develop, I that's for somebody else. But the 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 set uh, the stage is set yeah. for other things. It's not a closed um, open. It is very much an open house in its thinking, and that um, there's lots of potential out there. It's whether you go through that door or you decide not to go through that. That's door. amazing, especially uh, especially with social media and the the speed of real time commentary and stuff. I think. Oh, it sounds very exciting. Big shoes to fill. So I'm sure I always think the king is dead, long live the king. So. Brilliant. Well, I'll wrap up there. Thank you so much. That's been really fun. Thanks very much. Well, there you go. That was episode 10 of the Create More podcast with me, Ben Stewart, and Victoria Thornton. Um, she's an impressive person, right? She's, um, she's just, well, one, she's super enthusiastic. She's super nice. And two, I think think she started open house around the same age that I am now so no pressure but she's uh, she's achieved quite a lot in the last 20 years um so yeah I uh I just kind of came away from that just thinking wow I just I want to get involved more I want to do stuff so um 
yeah, if if you want to get involved, you should uh, go to Open City. They, they always need volunteers and stuff, and I do think it's something. It's a it's a real it's it's something that I do feel quite strongly that you should kind of give back, give back to the community, man. But uh, yeah, I just listening back to that. There is uh, I do have one hilarious question. Uh, I was going to r- talk about it in the intro where I. So the fun part about doing the podcast is that. I get to talk to these really interesting people, but I have a, I have a ton of research, load of questions. But I mean, as you can, as I hope you see and enjoy, I kind of get kind of genuinely lost in the conversations. If I was chatting to someone, there were no microphones here, so uh, I'm obviously I'm thinking in real time as well, trying to. Uh, there's a lot of questions that I had no idea I would ask because they seem more interesting than some of the questions are more relevant. So when she was talking about open house worldwide. Uh, and uh, she was explaining about all these different cities that are going to get involved, and I just start asking a question, and then I only get two-thirds of the way through the question, and by the time I've asked, I'm already thinking about where I'm going to go with the next question. So <laughs> for about a minute, I'm going, so what do you, well, you could do this, and then you could, I know, and then you can do this, and then you can take pictures, and I tail off, and the fun, what you obviously can't get from the podcast is that we're sat in a very, very small room and with eye to eye, it's a completely grey soundproof room and I kind of watched ahead till ever so slightly sideways with a kind of, where are you going with this question, Ben? Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it really makes me laugh because that, that does happen a lot, but I you think know, that's part of the reason why I enjoy it. But So essentially what I was trying to convey is with all these buildings around the world, some of the best pictures I think that you'll get of architectural buildings are from the people using the buildings I don't mean architectural photography which is all very it's beautiful and stunning and it's all perfectly lit but uh, with the kind of explosion of Instagram over the last two or three years and I do think now people engaging with architecture I love those images so the Studio Weave podcast that I did uh, go on their website studioweave.com and they do these amazing like outdoor sculptures and small theatres and interactive architecture but they've always got like kids and people playing in it and the assembled studios are the same like their theatres are just crawling with people and I really like that so but yeah that's 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 it that's uh, series one done um uh if you've uh, if you've got to the end, uh, then again, my little uh, I'm going to do a little extras podcast in a couple of weeks. Where um, actually, let me see if I can get up the name of the person from Twitter. So uh, even though this has gone out to say I think it's like four thousand people now, so we're we're getting like three or four thousand people a month, which which is mental. Uh, and I've got a few nice texts from people. Um, just about the podcast and there's a guy called uh Andy McMillan uh who uh just sent me a real because I was at a point where not that many I, I wasn't actually aware that people were listening or engaging you know I know that sounds stupid but after like two or three thousand people downloads I hadn't really got many Twitter responses I'd obviously got a lot of support and love from my friends and people I work with um but it really meant a lot to get a tweet from just someone who had absolutely no reason to tweet me. So, uh, so yeah, so Andy McMillan was just like, keep it up. That was good. And I had a really nice conversation with him on Twitter. So uh, it's genuinely, it's the smallest things that make me just want to carry on. And that was enough of a little, oh, that's nice, thanks, uh, which is really, really nice. And we had a little Twitter chat. And there's also a guy called James Dale who um, 
who said I was on a reading list or like a listening list. That sounds ridiculous. But yeah, just again, really nice. Uh, just that tiny bit of support uh, goes a long way. So um, I know most people don't don't tweet in, but there you go. This is this is me asking if you've enjoyed it. Uh, tweet me. Um, I originally set it up as uh, Played Studio, so at Played Studio on Twitter. That's P L A Y D Studio. This is kind of my separate brand to make to like publish, you know, designs and work and art that I'd done, and also uh, the podcast. But uh, the Create More brand is so much stronger and. I just confuse people by saying played. So if you just go on Twitter and type in create more podcast, that's kind of the the Twitter handle, I guess. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm going to do um, I'm going to do an extras one. This is uh, this is for the uh, the nerdy people who are again on Twitter who uh, want to find out a bit more about how I make it. So uh, that's going to come out in a couple of weeks, and I'm literally going to explain everything. So every bit of equipment, how I edit it, uh, where I got the music from. Uh, how I promote it, what type of software I use, how like how do you promote a podcast anyway? Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use that uh, as as a way to do a slightly more produced podcast. Not that I don't produce this one, but um, uh, that'll be where I edit it more, put bed music in a bit more because uh, it's something I really enjoy doing. I think I think it's something that um, I'd, I'd love to do, I love documentaries, obsessed with documentaries, and I love the idea of doing a documentary by interviewing people, uh, just thinking out loud here. But that's kind of the whole point of the podcast. You're, you're getting a conscious stream of thought coming out of my head. So that's it. That is uh, that's series one wrapped up. And I did say uh, that series two, I actually got someone, uh, Wooden Overcoats, uh, tweeted me saying, would you be interested in interviewing us for a podcast? And I'd never heard of Wooden Overcoats. Uh, what is Wooden Overcoats, I hear you ask? It is a podcast sitcom. Uh, it's uh, the first one I've ever heard of. Uh, there may have been others, but it's the first one that I've, have, I've, I've heard. So Wooden Overcoats is a podcast, uh, a sitcom, and it's really, really funny. I thought, well, I'll listen to it. And I was uh, on the train, on the tube on the way home, and um, chuckling away to myself. And as I said on Twitter, really shouldn't. I should avoid making eye contact people when you're chuckling because you just look really weird. Um, but yeah, so series two, I think it's going to start with them. And I'm going to try and stack some of their interviews so I can release them more spaced out so I don't have to stress myself out every two weeks. Uh, so we're going to re- start releasing them in like early December for the Christmas rush. But we're going to go over to their recording studios. They have record like recordings. They've got famous actors in there. Check it out. It's really, really good. It's really funny. And you'll recognize some of the voices because they're, they're kind of prominent on comedy shows and things on um, BBC. Um, but it's exceptionally well produced. And uh, yeah, check it out if you wooden overcoats on uh, on uh, iTunes. And yes, yeah, so we're going to go. I'm going to try and do a double I'm going to try and interview two people at the same time in a recording studio. So, you know, just keep, keep trying more stuff. So, if you're listening this far, you understand that the waffle is part and parcel of the podcast. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And you should definitely check out my back catalogue uh, for no other reason that there's loads of other people who are infinitely more interesting than I am and um, just inspirational, man. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. And I hope you uh, that's it. Subscribe. I keep forgetting to tell people to subscribe. Click the subscribe button on uh, iTunes or Acast or SoundCloud. And then every time I release a podcast, it automatically goes through to you. And that kind of bumps our viewing figures up, listening figures, which then puts us into a chart, um, which is all really exciting. And I really want to share that with you. Uh, I do feel that if you're a regular listener, uh, I do... I think people are like, oh, don't tell people you're listening figures. Don't tell that. Don't tell this. But I'm not in it to do it for advertising. I'm literally just in it to enjoy this kind of conversation with people. So, 
yeah, I'll, I'll tell you if it does really well. I'll tell you if we do really badly. Uh, <laughs> we don't do badly. Uh, but I will keep doing them for me and hopefully you'll enjoy them. So thank you so much for listening. That's the end of series one of the Create More podcast and the new one will be coming out before Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.